The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we all work our fingers to the bone every single week to get you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today, we're going to talk about a very unpleasant topic, the CDC eviction ban. With multiple guests from around the country, real-life real estate investors, a constitutional attorney, and also some property rights folks who have something to say about what we might be able to do about that. But first, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Listeners, do not forget, just because you missed it during Fun Drive last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, uh, does not mean there's not still time to sign up for the... OREA National Real Estate Summit happening November 7th through 14th online. Over 30 presenters from all over the country talking on topics as varied as short sales and wholesaling to apartments and flipping land and raising money and everything in between. It's a a wonderful use of your evenings during that that week-long period, and you can get more information about that at wmkvfm.org. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its first meeting for the month of October, a week from tomorrow, not tomorrow. And uh, it's a good topic. It's about foreclosures and how you can get involved as a real estate investor at various stages of the foreclosure process. Uh, there's lots of there's lots of stages to that process from pre foreclosure where payments are unmade and you can still help the seller actually exit the property without too much damage to their credit and maybe depending on the situation even with some cash in hand and then there is the sheriff sale sale stage or the trustee sale if you're in different parts of the country. Uh, And then there's the bank-owned property stage, and then there's the hedge fund stage. And this meeting will cover the opportunities and challenges at every stage of that and is open now to the whole world since pretty much everybody's Real Estate Investors Association meetings are now online. You can get more information and a link to join that meeting at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. 
Unless you have been living under a rock somewhere, if you are a housing provider, you are very well aware that about two weeks ago, an executive order suddenly came down from the Center for Disease Control that uh, banned certain evictions throughout the United States of America through December 31st. First time you will be able to evict a resident who meets certain requirements will be on January 1st of 2021. And the stated purpose of all of this was to prevent the spread of COVID, thus thus the order from the CDC as opposed to someplace else. Uh, the logic, if you go online and read the entire executive order, had to do with the idea that People who are evicted for non-payment of rent might um, move in with family members, which would cause more crowded housing, which might spread COVID, or uh, they might move out of state to find another place, and that would potentially spread COVID across state lines, or... Um, there's a whole bunch of reasoning that was loosely connected to the idea that eviction might spread COVID. So uh, the order states that if a resident meets four criteria that have to do with uh, loss of income affected by COVID, they would either have to move in with someone else or be homeless if they were evicted, and also that they... Um, are doing the best they can to pay as much rent as they can. Uh, all they have to do is sign a form attesting to those four things, and they will. They cannot be put out, no matter how long it has been since they stopped um, honoring their side of the lease agreement. So we have lots and lots and lots of housing providers throughout the United States who are in a position where because of state eviction bans, they have had residents who have not made a rental payment since February, January, March. And just as the state courts were reopening, this national eviction ban came down. So, you know, folks who didn't receive the February rent and still have not been able to move that tenant on to a place that they could afford to live uh, are looking at the potential for losing 11 months worth of rent. So uh, needless to say, this caused a lot of consternation in the housing provider community and particularly in the very large, as it turns out, community of small housing providers. The narrative for many years has been that landlords are faceless corporations who don't care about anything except making money. And a study uh, by the National Association of Home Builders uh, came out recently saying that roughly 72% of all of the rental properties in the United States are actually owned by individuals. And another 16% are owned by LLCs, which as we know, it's very possible that you can own a property in an LLC and be the only member of that LLC, thus you're effectively an individual. So this this idea that these that all of these rental pro- rental properties in the United States are owned by giant corporations with loads and loads of money and endless cash reserves and all of those things is just false. Uh, a rental housing provider who is more typical 
of the average who might only own one property, two properties, five properties, uh, and is not getting rent from that one property or one of the five, finds themselves in the position of potentially not being able to cover their mortgage payments and their taxes and their insurance and, of course, uh, the maintenance of the property, which the CDC did not uh, create an order saying that that no longer had to be done. This has been of massive concern to an awful lot of people and organizations, um, many of whom uh, predict that not only will this lead to a whole bunch of uh, of residents who three months from now, instead of owing a month's rent, owe three months' rent that they can't pay, and a huge wave of foreclosures come January 1st or January 2nd, I guess, would be the, the day that everyone can go to eviction court, but also that it, it could have a serious snowball effect on the real estate market in general when borrowers can't make payments and therefore go into foreclosure that tends to lead to a glut of foreclosures and vacant properties on the market, which is the last thing in the world that we need right now. And um, they uh, that, that then, of course, leads to depressed house prices, uh, a buyer's market, all of that sort of thing. So it's, it's just all bad. It's all bad from every potential perspective. So we're going to take a quick break. Oh, we're good? Roger's here? Roger, you here? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Um, yes, okay, yeah. So, yeah, apologize for that, Roger. The, the, the phone system in here crashed and burned just as <laughs> just as we were starting the show. Uh, so, I was uh, explaining the uh, the requirements of the moratorium and all the different things that um, folks are concerned about in uh, awaiting your voice in my ears. Uh, so, folks, we've got a couple of guests tonight to help us kind of work through this, and and importantly, what housing providers can at least be trying to do about it. Uh, I have on the line with me right now uh, Roger Valdez from Seattle for Growth. He's been a uh, sort of frequent visitor here on Real Life Real Estate over the last year or so. He is a property rights activist who has uh, been in that field for over 25 years now, working in housing and and for the uh, Seattle Neighborhood Development Organization, and also is a columnist for Forbes. So, Roger, I'd like to kind of pick up this discussion where I left off in my monologue while we were trying to get the phones working here. Um, obviously, this is this has created a lot of. I don't know, panic in the in the uh, small housing provider world. And interestingly, it's also created some strange bedfellows. I understand that in addition to all the folks on kind of our side of the table who are against the way this has been done, that a lot of the housing rights people, the 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 pro tenant organizations are also against it. Why is that? It's you'd think they'd be thrilled. Oh, the tenant, the tenant rights folks. I don't know. Um, I, I, I've mainly been seeing the the, the opposition from um, um, from well or concern uh, from people that are property owners. Oh, I think opposition's um, a perfectly adequate word <laughs> for yeah. 
for for what people are seeing. Um, I, I've actually seen, uh, I actually saw a press release the other day that was put out by a whole bunch of organizations, as you would expect, right? The National Association of Realtors, the National Apartment Association, the uh, National Association of Home Builders, but also several of the big tenants' rights advocates. And their concern was three months from now, they've they've got, I don't know, however many million tenants who have to write a giant check because the CDC moratorium is not rent forgiveness. Right. I, I think that what, yeah, what, what I'm seeing, I am seeing that uh, a lot of the, the folks that are, or organizations that sort of claim to be tenant advocacy organizations, they're, they're not necessarily tenant advocacy organizations. They're mostly lawyers, uh, eviction lawyers, and then other sort of various organizations that have, an axe to grind on rental housing, but very few of them actually represent real, um, honest to God, people paying rent, going to work every day, trying to make a living. Um, it, they're they, that's they're not construed that way, but nevertheless, they still speak, and that is a big concern for me. Is that the more noise they make about that check, is the more uh, is the closer we get to having forgiveness. And I think that's that for me has been one of the biggest things of this whole COVID thing has been eviction bans and at the, you know, at the local state and now the federal level and the idea that, well, people are paying rent. And then as, as we keep saying that unpaid rent is starting to have an effect on people's ability to pay their, their property taxes, their utilities, their operating expenses, um, and we go in and sort of make that claim and, and express the urgency around not being able to collect that rent. Um, their point is going to become, well, we should just forgive it. We should just say, oh, you don't have to pay that rent. And, and we've sort of seen that already. Um, and as that pile of, of unpaid rent gets bigger and bigger, um, my concern is, is that that's exactly where the other side's going to go. And after the election, if they have all the power, um, we may see that happen. Um, and that's been more than anything has been my concern about this. How um, is and, that and supposed the, to work? I mean, like, seriously, like, like the, the, the typical investor that I know, you know, from Cincinnati Re or Cori or any of the real estate associations around the country does not have some pile of cash that they can they can make their thousand dollar a month mortgage payments when they're not getting their fifteen hundred dollars a month rent, and they certainly can't, uh, you know, repair the roof that needs to to to, to be repaired. You know, the, the pile of cash they do have is reserves for maintenance and for a month worth of vacancy, not wor- not eleven months worth of unplanned unpaid rent. Right. Um, you know. The, the, you know, how would they operationalize it? I think they would just do it by fiat and just say, that's the way it is. You, you no longer have to pay this rent, and we, we ban the, the uh, property owners from trying to collect it, and just, that's it. And, and then folks will have to file lawsuits to let a court uh, adjudicate or decide whether or not that's legal or not. Um, and as to whether it would be, we, we won't know until the verdict is rendered in those cases. Um, you have to understand they don't care about that unpaid rent. They think that that 
housing providers um, are collecting passive income. That what they're doing is they own a bunch of apartments, and then they go down to the mailbox and at the first of the month and and just count all the checks and put them in the bank. And that's that's the nature of rental housing. And for the bigger corporations, the, you know, the idea is, you know, there's also the belief that rent is kind of theft anyway. You shouldn't have to pay it in the first place. So, you know, there really isn't, you're asking a question assuming that there's some rational thought behind it. It's just a highlight and delete kind of a thing, uh, make it go away. And the nature of politics and politicians in this country is such that they'll do it. Um, so prepare yourself for that first quarter next year. That's going to happen. Um, and it may happen, you know, in scattered areas. Um, it may not happen at the federal level, but you're going to see people, um, hard luck stories about I owe six months rent and I don't have the money to pay it back. Um, where that doesn't happen, you're going to see people just pack up and leave. That That's a rational thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. When you owe, you know, well into four figures of, of unpaid rent, it's time to just, uh, you know, it's it's like the, the people that walked away from bad mortgages. They just, they just mailed in the keys. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of that going on where people will just say, you know what, I'm just going to leave mm-hmm. because I can, ne- I can never come up with this amount of money. Um, and so you're still going to be stuck with that and trying to collect from somebody who has basically just uh, walked away from a, a really bad situation. Mm-hmm. And so and, that's the big part of the reason why these things are so horrible is is that they're just <laughs> they're just pushing this, kicking this can down the road. And and Roger, I want to come back to your thoughts on what what folks could be doing in the in the kind of legislative world to. Uh, at least push back on this and let legislators know that we're not happy with it. But first, I need to bring on uh, Luke Wake from Pacific Legal Foundation, who is an attorney with PLF Separation of Powers Practice Group. And he litigates cases um, basically challenging agency rulemaking, which I think this CDC eviction ban falls firmly into the category of... Um, Luke, every every real estate investor that I talk to about this is screaming, this is unconstitutional. This is unconstitutional. Is it Pacific Legal Foundation's opinion that this is unconstitutional? And if so, why? Yeah, it absolutely is our opinion. And, and we think we have very strong grounds to say that CDC has no authority to do what they are doing, and, and for that reason, it, it, it is illegal um, and it's violation violation of separation of powers. Um, you know, the executive branch does not get to make the law. Uh, they can't just you know write the rules however they want, um, just because they happen to think it's convenient public policy. Um, for one, you know, they are hurting people here on the other side of the ledger, and in any of them. If, if we're going to settle upon this as the public policy for the country, okay, that has to go through Congress. They can't go through the CDC just deciding that this is the rule. And the statutory, uh, they, they're, you know, they're saying they have authority to do this under a statute, but they are very, you know, they're grasping at straws uh, and interpreting this in such a way that um, gives them, if, if they actually can use the statute as they're saying, which I think they're very much misinterpreting the statute, 
But if they are correct in their interpretation, which they're not, it would actually result in CDC having authority to do literally anything that any of the governors have done uh, throughout the country through emergency orders. It would give the, gov- the CDC basically a general police power uh, to make up any rule that they think is appropriate. And that would be a violation of the non-delegation doctrine, um, the, the principle that it's for Congress to write the laws and, and they cannot just write a blank check for, you know, CDC or any other agency, for that matter, just make up whatever rules they want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I know Pacific Legal has been uh, sort of putting out brush fires on eviction things throughout the country over about the last six months. I've I've seen some uh, cases Mm -hmm. you guys worked on in California and uh, other places where the governor said, yeah, no evictions, can't can't do Mm -hmm. that anymore. What is what are you guys planning on doing about this particular thing? We are um, you know, gearing up to do something. I, I, can't, I can't say uh, definitively where yet, but we are very much looking to um, bring a suit to challenge CDC on this. And we're talking to landlords who are affected across the country um, and trying to figure out you know who who would be the best uh, to actually represent here. But we are looking to do something, and you know definitely happy to talk to people. But the bottom line is they've got to be held to account. We've got to um, we've got to enforce the separation of powers principles um, because and, and I'll tell you if if we don't stand and fight about this. Uh, which, by the way, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I would bet that, you know, this is going to be extended into 2021. Uh, but, you know, certainly if the Biden administration takes over in 2021, they could use this very same um, supposed statutory authority to do all sorts of other things to address the pandemic um, in a way that, um, you know, we, we think would be very much objectionable on the same same lines. So it's it's this is really, I think, the uh, the point of the spear on this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got listeners from all over the country who just heard you say that you are looking to bring suit and who might be thinking, boy, I'd like to I'd like to get involved with that. Typically, when organizations like Pacific Legal that are, you know, public interest law firms are looking for a plaintiff to be part of that suit, they're looking for something specific, not just I'm mad, right? I'm (laughs) I'm not just I'm madder than everybody else is about this. So, Mm -hmm. so uh, if if a listener, if a listener wanted to get involved and thought that they had a case, what, what would that look like from your perspective? Like who's the ideal plaintiff? Yeah, and we're happy to talk with with folks. Um, The ideal plaintiff would be someone who actually has, and I will say, by the way, you know, we are are talking to people right now who fit this mold, but ideally we'd like a handful of people. Um, So the ideal would be someone who actually can say, look, um, I've got a tenant, they're non-paying, that's a problem. (laughs) I'm having, you know, serious cash flow issues as a result of that. And, um, you know, darn it, I I need to be able to to evict them. but I can't because I've got the CDC order. Whether they have gone to court and tried to evict them and been told no thanks, I mean that, uh, or you can't do that, or they are just afraid to move forward on that because of the truly exorbitant criminal penalties that are that are threatened if you happen to violate the CDC order. I mean, $150,000 if you evict someone uh, in violation of this order. And they define evict, by the way, extremely broadly, so broadly that if you 
I mean, a lot of the eviction attorneys I'm, I'm talking to are saying, well, you can actually challenge the, the declaration, you know, if someone is, if you think that they have not signed, you know, and, and accurately attested to the fact that they're entitled to this. Um, some of the eviction attorneys I'm saying, are talking to are saying, yeah, we, we could challenge that. But a lot of people I'm talking to are, are very gun-shy about even doing that because they define eviction so broadly that arguably anything that you do to you know, even move in that direction uh, would you know potentially put you on the on the line for you know a huge um, liability, and you know a lot of people aren't re- willing to risk that. And unfortunately, that hangs over their head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need somebody who's actually damaged. Yeah, actually, <laughs> someone who actually who actually yeah, you're not just mad, but um, someone who actually um, is you know has a non-paying tenant, and they they say, look, I would evict them, but for the fact that I've they've got this declaration. Um, and, and, you know, again, we are talking to people um, like that, but we are trying to, you know, uh, gather a handful of you know, people mm-hmm. who have good stories to tell. Because, you know, look, people like to paint the landlords as the bad guy. They're not. They're providing an essential service. And, um, darn it, we have, a, <laughs> we have a due process in this country. We have a separation of powers. We have a constitution. And so... Uh, they have rights, and they can't just be trampled on. Um, you know, and the, the law, these are property rights, mind you. So, um, and, and for 40 years, PLF has been litigating on property rights, as well as now separation of powers issues. And so um, it's very important um, that, that we stand up. And so, yeah, if, you know, there are people who want to reach out, we're happy to talk to them. But again, we're, 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 we're moving in that direction already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I should I should say that the nature of Pacific Legal Foundation is that the clients are not actually charged oh, yeah. for the legal no, services. Everything we do is pro bono. So we're professional patrons. Um, and we, we, we do it all um, because we love liberty so much. <laughs> so, how, amen. So how so how would someone who is listening and said, oh, my gosh, that's me, and also, by the way, listeners, come on, you need to be a good operator. Don't call them up if you've got 10 million unresolved building violations and you've got, you know, criminal complaints by your tenants. Like, you know, we need, not, not that there's that many folks <laughs> well, out there like that, but, but you know, we need, we need sure. folks who, who, when they go to court and get cross-examined, aren't having to explain yeah. stuff. So the CDC order, by the way, it does not uh, prohibit you from moving forward forward with an eviction if someone actually, let's say, has not paid their. Uh, has, I'm sorry, it, it does not apply if they say are causing property damage or they're violating the contract in other ways. It only applies if the reason you're seeking to evict them is for non-payment of rent. Um, and so, you know, that's that's one thing to be mindful of. That you know, there, there there may be some workarounds. So one thing I would tell people is, look, if you're in that that bind. As a practical matter, I would say talk to an attorney in your state who does evictions and see what they think, if there's another way to go about doing this. Um, but, yeah, certainly people can feel free to reach out to us, um, pacificlegal.org. You can find us online, uh, pacificlegal.org. And there's a contact, or there's, there's an option there to, you know, submit a, a case, uh, you know, inquiry request on, on the webpage, pacificlegal.org, and, and it's very simple. Luke, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for letting us know that something is being done, <laughs> even though it's, it is being done. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a big it deal. Could be a little, could be a little ways away, but at least we we like, we can all settle our minds that yeah, the, all the folks who are saying that somebody should sue the government, yes, yeah, somebody is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, we realize that people, you know, you have immediate cash flow problems right now if you're you're dealing with the situation. So there is an urgency. Um, and so, yeah, we are looking to move quickly, actually. Luke, appreciate you joining us today. 
Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. Thanks for your good work. And uh, Mm -hmm. do we need to take a quick break? All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go back to Roger Valdez. And we're also going to to start uh, discussing some listener stories about how the uh, CDC eviction ban, even though it is only 20 days old, has already been affecting them. If you've got a story, send it to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Our topic today is the CDC eviction ban and what some of the stuff we are seeing that is kind of unintended consequences. And also some of the things that maybe we can start to do about that. It feels bad to just sit here and not take any action in this humongous violation of private property rights and interference in contracts between two adult sane human beings who made an agreement to do certain things. And now the government has said, well, one side doesn't have to actually have to do their certain thing. We just talked to Luke Wake from Pacific Legal Foundation. Still have Roger Valdez on the line. And Roger, you're very connected with housing providers, sort of not just in Seattle, but all over the place. And um, I think it's fair to say we're already seeing some consequences to this that were unintended. Um, one one example that, that I got an email about a few days ago is in Canton, Ohio, the municipal court issued a what they call a temporary halt in residential evictions based on the CDC order, except it's on all evictions. It's it's not right. just it's not just non-payment of rent, it's it's these just cause cases, you know, they're destroying the property, they've got whatever pit bulls that are attacking people, <laughs> whatever and Right. That's that's I'm sure that's happening in other places, too. What what other sorts of things are you seeing or afraid you're going to see that the the CDC never expected when they issued this order? Well, there's already so many sort of a patchwork quilt of of different sorts of eviction bans and and various um, defenses that have been allowed for eviction um that's one of the things that that a lot of these these things are often written in such a they're written by eviction attorneys on the on the defense side and so things like non-payment of rent um because of of uh, claimed covid19 impacts gets to be a defense um i think what we're seeing is extensions um sort of endless extensions of these things um i think we're seeing uh as you're as you're pointing out, lack of clarity about well what exactly is being prohibited. In some cases, it's 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 purely non-payment of rent for COVID-19, and then some. In some cases, it's just the courts not processing any evictions for for any reason whatsoever. Um, there are some sheriffs that are not, um, even though the order has been issued, they're they're not carrying out the eviction. So it's a it's a kind of a um, it's it's emanating from all sorts of different places within local a local jurisdiction and it's difficult to tell exactly what the rationale behind it is in in any case um sometimes it's just we're just going to stop processing these things and in other cases it's very specific about um what the law is and it's difficult to tell how the cdc thing blends into that because 
in some cases, um, it, 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 what it claims is that the, the strongest thing should prevail. So the CDC's ban, if it's stronger than the local ban, should be the one that's in force. Um, and if the, the, the local ban is stronger, um, then the CDC ban is, then the local one is the one that's in force. But it's hard to tell in the various provisions of these things which one means stronger. Um, you know, does it, is it, is the fact that the person has to present evidence of COVID-19 impact stronger or is it weaker? It depends on whether you're a defendant or a plaintiff. Um, in the case of Seattle's, there's no, no requirement like that. So actually, in some ways, um, if, if someone went, relied on the CDC, um, the CDC, uh, moratoria, um, or the, and you could say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to use the CDC's requirement that this person has to give me some kind of documentation because that's not present in the Seattle law. So all of those things are really confusing, um, the whole process, which is already a really difficult and confusing process already and varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and judge to judge. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's a real mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't forget expensive process already. It's it's not free to file right. an eviction. It's not free to get the sheriff to set out the resident who's been evicted. It's not free to have a vacancy that you have to turn over. Um, the, the, this the there there's a lot of um, I don't know chatter from the other side that says that somehow landlords are making money on evictions. Yeah, and and, and this has been one of the this was before all this uh nightmare with the covid thing happened. I was very concerned because I've seen really horrible stuff written in the media about eviction um and in particular a, a complete inability or unwillingness to define what eviction is. And the closest thing that I can describe it to is it's like a divorce. I mean, you go into a court and say I don't want to be married to this person anymore. And they can say, well, why not? And um, you can fight about it. And then in the end, a judge has to issue an order granting that divorce, and the gavel drops, and the divorce is granted, and then it's recorded in the court. And you have to pay for all that, and there's a process, and it takes time. And I've seen in, in, in luminary um, publications like the Washington Post, you know, a kid, you know, who didn't pay his rent on time, who got a three-day pay-or-vacate notice, and the Washington Post will say, well, my, it'll report the kid saying, well, this is the third time my landlord has tried to evict me. He's trying to evict me. And you just want to grab that reporter by the lapels and shake him and say, look, a three-day pay-or-vacate is just that. It's telling the kid he's got three days to pay or he's gonna, he has to vacate. But the actual eviction that isn't it doesn't begin until all of that that preliminary paperwork is filed and then notice is given and then he gets to respond and then if he does respond and he does get a lawyer and the judge decides that there's some mitigating circumstance that can all go back to square one and the guy's got another month to figure it out and to come up with the money for example mm-hmm. and 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 that that three-day pay-or-vacate notice is often in the in the minds of the media and the and the person receiving it eviction in in air quotes you know um it and it's not it's actually sort of a preliminary step 
that you have to do in many places in order to begin the eviction process. And you can't do it without saying that you issued that initial notice. And so these are things that are not very sexy, but they and they're not very sort of um, they're not tear jerkers or, 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 you know, sad stories. It's just very technical stuff. And every person that's tried to evict anybody knows it. You can't just call up the sheriff and have people's stuff taken to the curb. <laughs> so we need to do a better job of explaining to the general public exactly what an eviction is how long it takes, how much it costs, and why would you do it in the first place? And that, that's we, something that people don't understand. We need to get out there in front of our friends, families, the media, etc., and and uh, put put this this face that turns out to be the actual face of housing providers, according to that National Association of Home Builders study which is people who don't own 300-unit buildings all over the United States. They just own a few properties that they're hoping will help supplement their retirement. And I actually have one of those on the line, Roger. I actually, oh, I actually got somebody to step up and tell their story. This is Adam. He is a housing provider here in Ohio and um, works a full-time job and also owns uh, how many rental properties, Adam? I believe I'm up to 17 units. Just checked out a little bit ago. 17 units, and the, these are uh, primarily like single-family, two-family, smaller uh, properties. Yes, I have one, one three-family in there, but primarily all single-families. Okay. And um, you were telling me earlier today that for whatever reason, uh, these 17 properties that you own, by the time you have paid the mortgage payments, taxes, the insurance, the maintenance, you kept them, you know, done that even months when it's vacant. They're they're just a tiny bit better than a break-even proposition. Yes, that's correct. I'm, sometimes I'll make a little bit of money in a month. Next month I might lose a bit of money. But overall, if you look at a, a rolling 12-month period, I'm, I'm usually pretty close to a break-even. Mm-hmm. And I think the purpose of this for you is um, you're you're fairly young, and you were able to buy these properties because you learned how to do it using private money, which we'll come back to in a second. And you've got them on payoff schedules where you'll have them all paid off by the time you're ready to retire. Correct. This is basically my retirement plan. Okay. So you were um, more than a little put out (laughs) by hearing that it was possible that your residents could uh, sign a form, not prove anything, but just sign a form saying I've been affected by COVID and I would be homeless or have to move in with somebody or something if I uh, was evicted. And you shared with me a number that was actually, once I thought about it, was not that shocking. How many of your residents have to stop paying rent before your rents absolutely do not cover the expenses on the property? I mean, before they do not cover the expenses, since I'm at a break-even, technically one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that only gets worse as more stop paying, of course. Now, you work a full-time job, though. Can't you just take money out of your salary and cover all of that? Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, I still have my, my own life to, to, my own house to put over my, my own roof to put over my head and my own bills to pay with that full-time job. And I would probably need a second, third, fourth, and fifth job to cover all my, my expenses if hypothetically a large amount of these stopped paying me. There's probably nothing I could actually do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The suggestion has been made 
that what will happen if we get a million housing providers across the country like you who just are in the position of, I, I just, I just can't do it. I just, uh, there's no money for me to cover these payments is they'll just walk away from the properties and let the banks have them. Just like what happened during the great recession, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, you are not in a position where you can do that though. No, I'm not. Actually, of those 17 units that I have, only one of those has a conventional mortgage on it. The rest are all through uh, mostly private individuals. So these are people who invested their retirement funds or their investment funds with you expecting income, right? Expecting to be paid every month. And if you walked away with them, you would be really messing with the lives of, of what, family members, a little bit of everything, family, close friends, uh, previous coworkers, uh, even a stranger or two, but yes, a very wide range of uh, private individuals. Mm -hmm. So they could find their retirement plans gutted if your retirement plan, which was these properties, became uh, such a burden to you financially that you just you just had to walk away. Yes, actually, somewhat uh, ironically, most of my lenders are uh, baby boomers who wanted kind of a, a safe alternative to uh, more of the conventional uh, stock market type investments. They want to make sure their their nest egg is preserved, and I was able to show them up until this month the very high level of predictability with my business model. So uh, they were very attracted to the thought of not having this happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not necessarily Bank of America that wouldn't be getting paid. It's Brian and Susan and Craig and Corey. None of whom are going to get a bailout for the government if you can't pay them. No. Well, Adam, I hope that all of your tenants continue to keep their side of the agreement that they made with you when they moved into that property because the this this just your one example your one 17 property portfolio has reverberations that goes out into many 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 families not to mention leaving 17 rental properties that are no longer rental properties in a state where there's a drastic shortage of affordable rental properties yep that would mean no more uh, property taxes being paid to the city wouldn't be able to uh, spend money on things like uh, roofing and furnaces and electricians not getting paid. So I, I see this having wide-reaching impacts mm -hmm. throughout our community. All right, Adam. Thanks a lot. Stay tuned because Roger and I are about to talk about what the next steps are for all of us who are who have similar concerns about both our our renters, our properties, our families, and our private lenders and partners. So, Roger. Um, this is an executive order. My understanding about executive orders is they can only be overturned by the politician who created them or for, by his successor. And I don't think there's a whole ton of hope for that. But you have been uh, suggesting that there is something that Congress could do that would alleviate a lot of this if they would just take action and do it. And that is to... Uh, create create funds for these renters to be able to pay their rent. Yeah, well, for for one thing, they're operating under a statute or under a, a you know something that was passed by the legislature, um, or at least is connected to something that the legis that the that the Congress passed at some point. 
And so they can, um, through their own action, you know, pass a law that would clarify or, or, or significantly undermine the basis of the, of the executive order, which, as Luke pointed out, is kind of like you can do whatever you need to do to stop the spread of a pandemic or an epidemic. And it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's a very broad authority that's granted and I suspect is probably not, um, has never been really used before this way. So it's a novel use of it. And I think, I think both the Congress and the courts could significantly change that. Um, but the Congress could do that. And then second, you know, the real problem here is that the government decided that it was the best thing to do to stop the spread of COVID-19 is to shut down the economy. When they did that, it cost a bunch of people their jobs and their livelihoods. So either their businesses closed or they lost their jobs when a business closed and now they can't pay rent. Um, so the problem at the very beginning with all this was not um, had nothing to do with eviction. It had to do with not having that income. And what I've used is the phrase, you, you broke it, you bought it. So maybe it was the right, absolutely right thing to do to throw the brakes on the economy. And thank God the government did that. But now they need to pick up the tab and clean up the mess that they've created. And that would be by paying down all this unpaid rent and creating a, a program that would just cover it easily. Um, there's a few things to say about that. Number one is is that um, the best way to do that would be to create like a, 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 at least from what we've seen already in this, this whole process and this whole epidemic is to create a forgivable loan like the PPP and make it very easy for financial institutions to just loan money to a, a housing provider that can show that their rent rolls have fallen because of this COVID-19 um, and then uh, just put the, the unpaid rent into their bank account. Um, so Adam, that, that, you know, for example, if he had three or four of his folks that didn't pay for three months, could just submit that to um, his bank and the bank would just, would just give him that money. And, and then later on, at some point, he'd have to provide some documentation that explained how that was related to the COVID-19 impact. And then it would be a forgivable loan to be forgiven. Um, but he'd have the cash right away. Um, the problem with the way that local governments are passing out some of the stimulus money is they're driving it through nonprofits and they're, they're requiring that it be for people of 30 or 40% area median income. And they're putting all these requirements on it, and the application process can only be started by a tenant or a resident, not by the housing provider. So, so there's some money out there, but it's just very difficult to get, and it's usually um, niche-focused. Um, in, in Washington State, it's for LGBT, LGBTQ people only or people that can show they've been discriminated against before in housing. Um, one program in King County here requires that you live in a zip code that has a high rate of COVID deaths, which doesn't relate to anything at all. Um, it, you, you have, it's like playing a, a lottery or bingo to get the, the actual money. And um, I understand in Cincinnati, some of the same problems are going on too with the money. You have to, it's just incredibly difficult to get any of it, um, to get the money from the, the local government. So, so, if we, so we need to prevail upon these Congress people to do something about this as quickly as possible. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. We're too worried about mailboxes and, and judges and everything else. So I don't know that they're going to get to this. Um, but we need to be the telling them about it. And that's the that's the key thing. And and not not calling the congressman and yelling about how this is unconstitutional, but literally just saying, 
here is the solution. You need to either give money to tenants to pay rent or give money to us that's forgivable to cover our expenses so that there's still a rental house there in February right, of right. next year. Well, and it's, 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 it, and the, way, the simplest way to put it is my customers can't pay me. They need help. Um, and if they don't get help soon, I'm not going to be able to pay my property taxes or my, my mortgage or my repair bills or, as Adam pointed out, I'm going to have to lay people off, and that's going to boost unemployment. So, you know, it really just comes down to um, getting the money to the people that that are struggling right now who lost their jobs, as as the president always says, through no fault of their own. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. They just woke up one day and their job was gone. And um, the the Congress needs to understand that that that's what – that's what people need is money. They don't need an eviction ban and, and rent forgiveness someday. They need they need to have the, the, this money paid now. Roger, I appreciate your time. We are out of time, unfortunately. That's Roger Valdez from Seattle for Growth. You can find his website at Seattle for Growth or check out his column in Forbes. And we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path of financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.